going to start recording, and as I told them just beforehand, smashing a mosquito on my face. Apparently today I got out of the wrong side of the bed. But today, Karen Newell, Dr. Evan Alexander, who we've had on for to discuss uh, living in a mindful universe, proof of heaven, and most recently uh, what I just read was map of heaven. But for all of the new listeners, please introduce yourselves, whoever wants to go first, Dr. Alexander, Ms. Newell. Yes, well, I'm uh, Evan Alexander, a, a neurosurgeon, uh, and I had a uh, profound near-death experience that happened actually 13 years ago this week. So this is my anniversary of remembrance of that oh, uh, beautiful gift of spending a week in coma due to severe bacterial meningoencephalitis that allowed for an extraordinary experience that by the tenets of modern neuroscience should have been impossible. Uh, and I've spent the last 13 years trying to make sense of it, working with other scientists and experiencers. And Karen and I do a tremendous amount of work around meditation. And uh, she can talk more about that. But I meditate an hour or two a day using her technology and uh, highly recommend it to everyone. But this is about a global awakening. That's where my NDE comes in handy. Uh, and it's good to be here again with you, Tommy. Thank you so much. And yeah, Karen, you're you're a uh, you're, uh, sacred acoustics, which I have used. And I think we talked about last. I I'm not da- I'm not down for an hour a day. I'm not able to do that yet. I do about thirty minutes a day. But very rudely of me, I cut you off before you introduce yourself, Karen. Yes, well, I'm Karen Newell, and as you both have acknowledged, I'm co-founder of Sacred Acoustics that creates this audio technology, but also I'm co-author with Eben on his third book, Living in a Mindful Universe, and together we try to teach people that uh, they can generate their own connection to something greater, their own sort of identity of meaning and purpose without having to have you know, a disease like Eben and have it happen through a near-death experience, we all can cultivate our own spiritually transformative experiences. You know, it's kind of, and as you guys know by now, I have an odd way of conducting these podcasts, but I guess I'll just start with this. It's kind of like, you know how they say dogs can kind of sense if someone is like, if they have good intentions or not. It's just not, not almost like a drug dog, but it's just like, they can almost just kind of tell if someone's I don't know, like a dead or kids, right? Yeah, 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 right. There's just some, there's some psychic component. The one reason why I love having you guys back on, and why I think I just completely like open my arms and heart to you guys, is because at the core of everything you guys talk about, it's the antithesis of the old church, right? That you have, you have the gatekeepers. You know, we're gonna turn our backs to the, uh, we're gonna turn our backs to the mass. We're gonna say it in Latin. And don't you dare read the Bible on your own. Everything you guys talk about, it isn't some, and come buy this $80,000 ticket. You guys are just like, hey, throw these beats on, sit there and meditate, and you can kind of walk into the same eternity that, you know, in a much safer way than Evan went through, but you can do the same thing. And there is, to me, that's like, that's like the immediate passes the sniff test. It's like, what are they selling? And it's like nothing. We're telling you how to meditate. So just as an aside, I wanted to put that out there, why I love talking to you guys. Um, well, thank you, Tommy. The feeling is mutual. Oh, thank you. Um, so this is always just a love fest. We just compliment each other. So anybody <laughs> listening to this, if you guys wanted a, a scientific discussion, it's just going to be a lot of patting each other on the back. But um, <laughs> So we talked about living in a mindful universe last time, which I've talked about multiple times since then with other guests. And really what I love about it, probably the big take home is 
that, you know, not only is there purpose to our lives and to our suffering, but you can go one step further and that you actually planned this much like, you know, planning your own workout or something. It's not just, I have to be on the treadmill. It's like, you know, every morning I go on the treadmill for a mile and then I do like 10 minutes of weightlifting. And it's, you know, the realization that suffering is good for you is like, hey, you're not just on the treadmill, but you're working out and like, you're actually getting stronger, you're boosting your immune system, you're burning fat, like that's already kind of a mind blowing thing, right? And then you take it one step further. And it's like, and you designed the workout, like no one's pulling me out of bed, like I get out and I walked. And so when you realize that it shifts your frame entirely. Um, but with the uh, with map of heaven, it and I know I'm talking nonstop, but I just finished a book called Phenomena by Annie Jacobson. And she writes all about military operation paperclip, DARPA, so on and so forth, Area 51, or just all kind of military industrial complex. And just like my guest last week asking about you and it being your 13-year anniversary and just finishing this book, there's kind of a synchronicity to all of it to where what this book is talking about is the very real interest in moving from parapsychology to a very defined science that that this isn't a one-off event. This isn't the light at the end of the tunnel. Or it is, but you're not the only one that saw it. And uh, Dr. Alexander, could you kind of explain that more for the audience, what Map of Heaven is? It's really, it's kind of peer review. It's a bunch of people saying, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Well, I realized as I was giving presentations, you know, with the launch of Proof of Heaven and all that, um, there were so many experiencers out there. I mean, you wouldn't know it from reading our press these days, but these experiences are literally out there by the millions. After-death communications, uh, deathbed visions, uh, you know, memories in children that uh, indicate a past life, uh, near-death, shared-death experiences. I mean, they're really the kind of groundswell of humanity, and it's kind of amazing how the materialist culture materialist focus culture and the kind of materialist science of the late 20th and early 21st century has so effectively suppressed uh, this ongoing ambience of, of the human condition. Uh, and that was one of the reasons I wrote Proof of Heaven was to get that out there, to normalize this. This is not paranormal. That's a terrible word for it. These are normal human experiences that show us that we're much more than just our physical bodies. And, um, and yet I realized as I was hearing these stories from many people, often they'd start with, I've never told anybody this before, but, and then they would share something with me that uh, they, they say, I, 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 this happened 50 years ago. And, and it, uh, like an NDE or a, uh, an after-death communication, yet our culture suppresses it so actively. So I wanted proof of heaven to kind of open the floodgates. But then I realized that also sometimes, like the, the lay press, for example, uh, treated my book as something special, like, oh, look, this guy found God. Well, guess what? Millions of people have, have found God through the very same kind of experiences. So Map of Heaven was simply my way of saying, this isn't just me, folks. Uh, you know, I'm nothing special. What happened to me is special, but it's happened to millions of others. So let's just start addressing this beautiful aspect of human uh, existence and reality. And Map of Heaven is all about that because I was getting communications from people all the time, emails uh, saying, this happened to me too, this happened to me too. And so in Map of Heaven, we're just really trying to say, look, this is normal. It's part of human experience. You can expect this. 
Uh, you know, it's that common. Uh, and it gives us great reason for hope. Uh, and not only that, I was trying to paint the picture that modern science of consciousness in a very powerful fashion, just as suggested by the founding fathers of quantum physics, is going very heavily towards a worldview where consciousness is primary and fundamental. In fact, we are all connected, connected with that deity, with that divine source of love and healing, connected with each other, connected with the animal and plant kingdom. I mean, all of us are connected via this one mind. Uh, and that's really, of course, where we went in living in a mindful universe was to try and support the science and spirituality as they converge and strengthen each other uh, instead of the crazy old materialist nonsense of trying to deny our spiritual nature. In fact, some of the hardcore materialists like Daniel, Daniel Dennett would even tell you nobody's conscious. We're all zombies because he thinks consciousness is an illusion created by chemical reactions and electron fluxes in the brain, all following laws of nature. Therefore, you could never have free will if it's just chemical reactions. Uh, so, and that's a very damaging viewpoint. And that's where I think Karen and I took this uh, uh, leap in, in living in a mindful universe to kind of get to the next level, arguing for the reality of idealism. Uh, you know, the primacy of, of mind. And, and as, as Karen often reminds me, this is not mind over matter, it's spirit over matter. And the more we come to realize we're spiritual beings in the spiritual universe, and our definition of spirituality is very simply uh, a sense of connection with others, as is being demonstrated through neuroscience, philosophy of mind, uh, parapsychological evidence, non-local consciousness, and quantum physics, but also a sense of purpose and meaning that is shared. And that's what I think is so important in this awakening, because when you look at our world today, there's so much polarization, kind of conflict, and yet uh, deep beneath it all is this beautiful kind of potential for recognizing the oneness we all share and the binding force of love. And that's why we wrote Living in a Mindful Universe. It's a very scientific book, uh, but it has everything to do with where the evidence leads us. And the long arc of history points towards uh, truth and justice. The empirical evidence is not receding. It's actually becoming much more common. Uh, and near-death experiences, for example, have been with us for thousands of years, and yet uh, it was in the late 60s with doctors developing techniques of cardiac resuscitation to bring people back after cardiac arrest that they've now populated in the last six decades this world with tens of millions of souls who have been to the other side and come back to tell the tale. Even though our culture suppresses those stories, the reality is as we learn that these are true and real and a basic part of our existence and allow these stories to flourish, we can rewrite our understanding of our relationship with the universe, our reason for being here, and our potential for healing, wholeness, uh, and coming into the souls we really came here to be. It kind of makes me think of uh, that comedian, Bill Hicks, who died in 1993. His whole thing was, uh, it's just a ride. Life is just a ride. But one of his lines is like, you know, I was just thinking about what, you know, while you're talking, you know, we do suppress it, right? It's the, that never makes the front of the news, right? Where it's like, hey, 10 people on, you know, on five different continents all experience the same white, all healing, loving light at the end of the tunnel. Like that right. doesn't make the news, right? It's like, you know you know, rioting here makes the news. But like Bill Hicks said, he goes, yeah, you know, if you have the realization like, wait, we're all just one and there's nothing but infinite, there's nothing but an infinite sea of love and there is no such thing as death and we are all God's children. 
Because you can't really sell missiles with that. So you got to suppress it. You can't, Raytheon isn't making any money off that. So you kind of got to hammer it down. Well, that's very true. And in yeah. fact, an important concept here is the one of choice. As I said earlier, the materialist position argues very strongly that humans don't even have free will. Yeah. That it's all just kind of predetermined. Uh, and I would argue very strongly that is not true, given the science of consciousness and the primacy of mind and spirit. We are the free will that determines the uh, evolution of the universe. And that's why it's so important to make the right choices. And you're exactly right in pointing out the kind of crimes of the military industrial complex and the kind of energy industrial complex mm -hmm. that's uh, kind of killing us all off with uh, carbon dioxide uh, pouring out of all of our uh, modern technology to the point that it's threatening now 35,000 animal species with extinction, 40% of plant species. I mean, we are doing some real damage. Our choices are very important. Responsibility and free will are crucial concepts if we are to uh, provide proper stewardship for this planet and rescue ourselves from what otherwise uh, we're going to all become victims of that military industrial, energy industrial uh, complex. And, and that's come from the almighty dollar, the profit motive, uh, which it can be very dangerous when it's left unbridled. And that's why this world has to change. And we have to take responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, Karen, what you said earlier about how it's, it, it's, it's available to all of us, right? We're all able to go in there. Um, and what, what map of heaven shows is, is it's kind of like, I don't know if you hear, sometimes I'll do a podcast like, so right now it's, well, granted, it's three of us, but it's it's two separate screens, two separate microphones. Sometimes when I'll have like three or four people, there will be feedback. Last week or a couple of days ago, I had on Dr. Malone, the inventor of the mRNA vaccine. And it's like, it's like a super serious podcast. You know, I'm kind of nervous I got him. And as soon as I start talking, I can tell there's feedback. But my mind is like, just don't think about it. Just do the podcast. It's like, this is a once in a lifetime catch. And this always happens is like a couple minutes in, someone will stop talking and go, is anyone else getting feedback? And everyone, you can almost see this, like everyone's shoulders was like, oh, thank God. I was like echoing. I could hear my own voice. And there's like this sort of everyone's like, oh, man, someone gets headphones and we're all good. And then and then it's just it's smooth sailing. Karen, I feel like that's kind of if I may, that's kind of what you're talking about when it's available to everyone. It's finally well, Dr. Evan Alexander is like. Has anyone else kind of experienced like the white light of love and, you know, all is well and God is good? And everyone's like, oh, thank God. I thought I was the only one. I thought I was going crazy. And it's is do you feel that that is perhaps part of it is is it's all right there. It's right under the surface. And it might not even be that we have to show people so much as someone might just has to be might just have to be the first to say, is anyone else noticing this? That could be the thing that pushes it all forward. Well, it's interesting. It brings to mind, um, you know, as we're growing up and we're children, many people, many children have these kind of abilities to maybe see auras or intuitive senses. And they have this understanding that everyone must be like this, right? And that's how we grow up thinking that, well, everyone must be like this. And it's not until we start talking to others that we realize, oh, maybe we are a little different. Yeah. Uh, maybe not everyone has these abilities, but the idea that we don't talk about it is a big travesty. Um, there was a study where people who have had 
encounters with the souls of departed loved ones. Um, and yet, you know, I, I can't remember that something like 30 to 50% wouldn't tell anyone about it because of the sort of stigma of being made fun of or, or such. And so it's no wonder that people are readily talking about it, but you're right. If we were, if we were comparing notes, if we realized what we all shared in common and a, what made us each unique, just knowing that about each other, um, it can really be a wonderful thing. I know when I first started going to these kind of meditation retreats, they um, they were sound journey retreats, really. We would all listen to these type of binaural beat recordings, and then we would get back together and tell each other what just happened in our mental and spiritual state. And uh, the huge, wide range of experiences, everything from, you know, these beautiful kind of encounters with guardian angels and meaningful kind of things and and all the way to someone saying oh you know i just fell asleep and so on the one hand it can be very intimidating as a beginner like i was once to hear all of these stories because you think oh my gosh that's not what what's happening for me there must be something wrong with me uh these guys are so much better i i'll never be able to do that on the other hand It's inspiring because you hear what the potential is. And while sometimes these things come naturally, say through a near-death experience, or people just have these sort of natural intuitive abilities, it all can be cultivated. It all can be developed, just like any other skill, piano playing or sports or um, even, you know, jumping rope, even just riding a bike, all of those things. We had to learn how to do that. And so... You know, we sit around and think, well, I don't have intuitive sense, so it must not be real. Well, maybe you haven't taken the time to develop it, because while we all have that capacity, we all share that ability for that capacity and potential, we haven't all necessarily exercised or developed those skills of being able to go within. And, you know, Evan brings up this idea of spirit over matter. Mental health is quite a... Uh, you know, it's really come into the foray of discussion where people are starting to feel comfortable about talking about their anxiety, their depression. And that's a wonderful thing. But this idea of spiritual health really supersedes mental health, because if we're spiritually healthy, we may, in fact, have fewer mental health issues. So what I mean by that is if we all understand that you know, we're not alone, that there is a, a spiritual realm, as as we can call it, which is really not to say anything about wh- how it's, you know, really, what it really comprises, but there is a spiritual realm, a part of us that transcends the physical and mental realm. And if we can, each of us kind of cultivate a connection to that, and where that takes place is in the mental and emotional realm, when you can sort of transcend those daily thought, those thoughts, those reactive emotions, daily thoughts and reactive emotions, then you start to get in touch with this something greater. And so that's what Evan's speaking of, this connection to something greater, feeling like you're part of a greater whole. The truth is, and science supports it, that's the fact, but not all of us have that direct experience of it. And then really having this idea of a bigger picture of what's going on here. And that's where a greater, broader perspective really brings more meaning and purpose to why we're here. It's not just, you know, going for a drive. That drive is taking us somewhere. And there's a, an evolutionary aspect to it that we can tap into. And some of us are going to be more 
kind of aware of this than others, but even just a tiny awareness, yes, there's something greater and I am a part of it and I am an, an important part of it, contributing to the purpose that we all share. That can do wonders for an individual to really have that knowing, not just the intellectual understanding, but the actual deep knowing. And the only way really to get that is through direct experience. And for Evan, it happened unbidden. You know, many people, it just kind of just happens, but others, we can cultivate it. And so I'm very proud of you. You say, Tommy, that, oh, I can't do an hour a day, maybe half an hour. Half an hour is enough. It's a, a wonderful thing to spend any time at all sort of cultivating that, especially we can, when you can get into a routine, into a daily, or even if you skip a day or two now and then, don't beat yourself up. You know, any kind of routine that will get you there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I've made it part of my, I do it before every podcast and it kind of clears my head. Oh, um, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, and I can tell when the ones I haven't done it because I'm all scatterbrained and, um, well, I guess I'm always kind of scatterbrained, but Dr. Alexander, uh, what Karen just said and what you said earlier about spiritual health, uh, it's more of a, you know, it's not mind over matter, it's spirit over matter. It kind of seems like it's, there are these like waves of like, I don't know, like chipping in deeper and deeper and deeper, right? And it's, you could maybe say, and this is a, a, a very generalized analogy, but you could maybe say like the first sort of societal opening up would be like, uh, like coming out of the closet. Right. And then we would maybe say, at least in my limited experiences, maybe in the last five to 10 years, more uh, mental health. You know, it's it's okay to say, you know, you don't have to be the stereotypical, you know, I'm a man's man. It's like it's okay to be like, hey, man, you know, some days I wake up and I just want to cry. And that's kind of like and then it becomes normalized. And now it's like a normal thing. It seems like the next wave is like. At the beginning, it's very odd to talk about spiritual, you know, your spiritual sort of health, but that might become a new norm and we have to push it forward. And right now it's, you know, people kind of look at you and you, you know, mental health is slowly becoming more normalized. But if you say like, hey, man, what's the purpose of it all? Are we connected to a God or are we just some weird wisp in a God's mind? And people are like looking at you like, dude, this is like you're at like the Walmart like checkout line. You're like, sorry. But, you know, it kind of it all crushes in. But it seems like, Dr. Alexander, do you think that is perhaps the next wave of opening, coming out, if you will, spiritual mental health coming, coming out of the, I guess, the closet, if you will, spiritually. I, th I think that's a huge part of it. I mean, this is really about living more authentically uh, from the heart. Uh, and also very important to point out that one should not get trapped into that crazy uh, train of thinking that the thoughts running through your head, your running stream of consciousness, your ego mind, uh, is who you are. At a very deep level, uh, to understand all this, you have to realize, uh, and this is something Karen and I often um, help people do in our workshops, <clears throat> is uh, in meditation, to you can let that little voice in your head make a, an, an intention, state a request, ask a question, what have you. Uh, but then that little voice can go into timeout. And what I learned to do early on in exploring with sacred acoustics uh, in the meditative state was to develop a richer relationship with that observer, with the awareness of existence. Because in fact, that is not a human part of consciousness. That is a property of the universe that sentient beings buy, um, kind of can buy into, can tap into, 
Uh, I mean, that's where all of this uh, kind of non-local consciousness, distance healing, power of prayer, uh, the enormous healing we see through people's beliefs. I mean, medical science has acknowledged mind over matter for more than six decades with a gold standard of the placebo-controlled trial. And placebo is nothing more than an admission by medical scientists that beliefs, thoughts, and attitudes have a tremendous uh, role in our unfolding reality, uh, what we can manifest. And so in many ways, this is moving beyond the ego. I mean, oftentimes I know from addiction and alcoholism work um, that the ego would rather see the host dead than to see the ego die. Yeah. So sometimes psychologists have, have uh, gone with a ritual sacrifice of the ego. But I think it's very, this is why meditation, going within, centering prayer are such important concepts because it's been known for millennia by human beings that the great uh, you know, powers of, uh, of the sacred divine realm are accessible via mind. I mean, this is a kind of a natural extension of quantum physics and what it says about primacy of consciousness is realizing that all of us as sentient beings have access to that. And certainly in my coma journey, what I came to see was our very conscious awareness is directly sourced in that God force of pure love mercy, compassion, forgiveness uh, that near-death experiencers encounter, bathe in during their experience. And when they come back to this world, they realize there's nothing to fear about death. And part of that realization is because they've come in touch with kind of higher soul, higher self, which is not isolated. It's not really a self at all. It's connected to all other sentient life, and it's connected to that God force. Uh, and, and as we come to realize all this uh, and, and kind of simplify our connections with God and that creative power, uh, come to see ourselves kind of as co-creators uh, and realize that our ego and the little petty concerns of the ego, uh, although they serve a, a kind of a minimal purpose for survival in a predator-prey relationship, ego can get us into big trouble in the modern world. And so this is meditation and prayer and caring for others, you know, instead of being self-focused. Uh, self-focusing is a very damaging and pathological way to go. Uh, and, and focusing on helping others and the higher good uh, is a very healthy way forward in connecting uh, kind of with who we truly are. And that's where I believe this revolution can actually help a tremendous number, billions of people on this planet can use this kind of awakening to uh, their true self, uh, which is far beyond the ego mind. Uh, when you have discussions of planning this life and planning the hardships, many people who are totally ego-driven will hear that and go, no, no, no way. I wouldn't ever, you know, ask for these hardships that have been dealt my way. And yet uh, what I came to realize is the hardships, illness, injury, etc., are in many ways gifts. They're mileposts that mark a pathway forward. And it's how we deal with them. Are we able to recover the sense of love that the universe has for us and love for others and see that as a very healing uh, kind of wholesome force? Or do we kind of resist and come at it out of fear? I mean, fear is a very dangerous thing. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if it was FDR or Churchill who said the only thing to fear is fear itself. Uh, but in fact, that's very true. And of course, in our modern political world and media world, fear is everywhere. It's thrown in our face all over the place. 
because some people try and use fear to control others. Uh, and one of the most important lessons of this is that we can come to recognize our own power in manifesting our own unfolding reality as we align more closely with our higher self. And that higher self is never truly a self. It involves the oneness, the connectedness we share. Uh, and this connection of mind is not just with human beings, it's with um, all sentient uh, creatures throughout the universe. And that's why I think the way humans treat animals needs to shift. And that's especially important to point out, for example, in our food industry. Uh, and it's not that, uh, you know, animals eating animals isn't a natural part of the natural order. But the important point is for the way we imprison certain animals and keep them captive, you know, as food sources and dairy sources, things like that. Uh, would we do that to our dog or cat? No. Uh, and these animals have the very same kind of spiritual reality uh, as our pets do. So we really need to kind of rethink how we do all of this. Yeah, it's um, Bill Hicks again. <laughs> Another thing he said is like, isn't it weird when you turn on like CNN or Fox News and it's war, depression, recession, famine, genocide, war. And it's like you look outside and there's just like, you kind of see like the leaves just kind of shifting. You walk out on your front porch and there's like a five-year-old girl on a tricycle and you're like, where is all this happening? Where is, yeah. where is the thing happening? But it's because it's easy. It latches onto the mind and it pulls you in. Um, Dr. Alexander and Karen, what you both said about this sort of being an awakening, I guess, you know, Dr. Alexander, you're saying it's, you know, an awakening on the whole and Karen, you saying it's available to all of us. If we can time together. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed Dr. Lindsay Fitzharris, who wrote a book called The Butchering Art. It's all about Victorian medicine. And it's, I mean, really just a horror. But like Dr. Lister, when he was first kind of had these wacky ideas about germ theory and, uh, the, you know, the, you know, the sanitizing method of like, hey, when we're operating on people, maybe instead of taking the knife and then wiping off the pus and blood and going to the next one, he's like, what if what if we put it in carboxylic acid? Or like, what if we just did some, or we, what if we changed the bandages every couple hours instead of once a month? And just washing our hands. Yeah, just little That things. was a giant step forward in medicine. But not only that, it wasn't just that people looked at him and they were like, all right, man. I mean, they violently attacked him. They, they, they ostracized him. You know, uh, these like respectable colleges of medicine would bring him on and they'd be like, but you are not to use your carboxylic uh, acid method. And they'd all kind of snicker. And you know, laughed out of places, made fun of like, all right, whack job, you know, what else are you doing? But eventually, because it's just science, it just is, other people used it and they reproduced the results. And it wasn't towards the very end of his life, he started to get the credit he, uh, he, he deserved. Do you think that that is or not? Do you think that's kind of how I see you two is you're talking about these things and it's very easy to be like, aha, all right, yeah, God, it's all love and golden light, like sounds good, you know? It's very easy to dismiss versus like in Map of Heaven, but you talk about all these, you know, you're the perfect candidate for it, right? Because you talk about in Map of Heaven, you know, how how you were a uh, reductionist materialist, you know, you are the, the, the Harvard brain surgeon and another great candidate I have on here all the time, Dale Comstock, youngest ever member of Delta Force. I mean, is Captain America, you know, has never, never smoked a joint in his life and he's the most straight edge guy. But then he'll talk to you about energy and frequencies and opening your mind and experiencing love. And you, when you hear these guys say it, you're like, well, these are not the guys that normally say it. But what I'm getting at is it almost kind of seems like 
the the kind of like the sanitizing method or the, or germ theory. It's something that we can all experience it directly, which is right peer reviewed reproducible science. Do you think that's kind of where we're going now, where eventually you won't be able to well to ignore the science? Well, I would say you know uh, the various religions uh, of our world all all started in with someone, some prophet or mystic having this vision of a grander universe than just the physical world around them. And of course, then the religions would try and codify that. And unfortunately, you would then get people who weren't the original prophet or mystic who would kind of warp it and twist it to control other people. And so religions, uh, although they've done, they've done uh, plenty of good, I know in my life, my uh, kind of life in a Methodist church, in a Episcopal church, always involved church leaders who truly lived what they talked and they they were from complete love, universal love and, and compassion for all. Uh, but I know that religion in general has not always done that. And in fact, has a bad track record uh, in terms of kind of spiritual honesty and doing the right thing. But that's where I would say that right now what's actually happening, and, and this of course is kind of the theme in Living in a Mindful Universe in our third book, um, is the science is actually leading the way. And science, even though, yes, the scientific community has all the foibles of any human uh, enterprise, period. Uh, so you find a lot of trouble in the kind of progression of science. And yet, science, uh, as you know, the scientific method and the objective way of, of dealing with accessing truth, uh, which is, was applicable, for example, with Lister and carboxylic acid, as you mentioned, because people couldn't see the germs with their eyes for so the yeah. common sense. What are you talking about? It's nonsense. Well, but the scientific method has a way of taking us beyond our kind of common sense misinterpretations and assumptions uh, into what we can call objective truth. And what we point out in Living in a Mindful Universe is this extraordinary emerging role of science through not only quantum physics, through para parapsychology and all the evidence for non-local consciousness, from philosophy of mind and from neuroscience, what's known as the hard problem of consciousness, which is really an impossible problem. Mm -hmm. There's no way materialism can ever explain consciousness. And there are far better explanations coming out of the scientific world, which all point to a unity of consciousness, that we're all truly in this together. It takes things like near-death experiences very seriously. And these experiences by the millions paint a picture of oneness, unity, and love that defies that fear-mongering polarization of the modern media and uh, politics. And as you say, any individual can look out the window, see the leaves falling and the birds singing, and they go, what is all this kind of negativity coming at me? I mean, news can be toxic these days. And uh, I love it when news broadcasts kind of focus on the the higher good and people helping others. Which It's always the last story. It's always yeah. kind of the last story. Yeah. Like, we bombarded you with all this negativity. Now we're going to leave you with a light note. Well, the light note is coming out writ large in the science of consciousness. And, and the evidence leads in one direction. That's the, the direction we're talking about. We will never backtrack into the bleak and paltry fiction of materialism, pretending brain creates consciousness and we only exist birth to death and nothing more. Because that is a fiction. It's a made-up story. And in fact, when you realize how little modern uh, science uh, uh, scientists who study consciousness actually understand about consciousness and the mind-brain connection and the nature of reality. Um, 
uh, especially those who are still stuck in materialism, who haven't even studied the evidence that shows this primacy of consciousness, you realize we're only going to go in one direction, and that is towards truth and justice and understanding, which means following the evidence as opposed to continuing to deny it. The reason some of those debunker and kind of pseudo-skeptics, they're not real skeptics, they've already made up their mind. They, they don't care about empirical data or rational argument, uh, and they're the debunkers. Uh, but they're going to go extinct because the truth goes in the other direction. And human beings, uh, by the millions, are having these experiences. They want explanations better than, oh, it was all a hallucination. You can forget about it. Yeah. That's what my doctors told me when I woke up. My brain was still so frazzled, I believed them. But then as I started reviewing my medical records and all my memories came back on my scientific knowledge, I realized this was a whole smoke and mirrors trick. And the whole world is coming to realize that. The materialism died 80 years ago. Just a lot of people haven't read the memo yet. Yeah. So this is really about a tremendous expansion. There's a memo? <laughs> you should write well, that memo. Living in a mindful universe. Yeah, I, was about to say, I was about to say proof of heaven was the memo, yeah. Proof there of heaven is a big Although I look at proof of heaven as more a question mark. Sure. If people really want proof of heaven, uh, they would benefit from uh, especially reading Living in a Mindful yeah. Universe because that's the true continuation of my story beyond the book Proof of Heaven. Yeah. You know, I was... You know, you know when like you trying to get a dog to take medicine or something like a like a you know whatever a antiviral or a whatever a sedative for a trip, and it doesn't take it. So like my old dog Oscar, he like loved cheese. So you give him like a little piece of cheese, give him a second piece of cheese, give him a third piece, and then in the fourth piece you put the medicine wrapped in cheese, and then you take a trick out of like uh, out of advertising, and then you give him a fifth piece of, piece of cheese with no medicine in it. So he doesn't have buyer's regret. So you get him in there and he goes, all right, no, it's all good. One of them kind of tasted weird. The universe is kind of doing that. It's doing the old switcheroo, right? It's taking scientific uh, or materialism, reductionist materialism. And it's going, yeah, yeah, break it all down. Break it all down. Yeah, it's just a molecule. It's just an atom. It's just a proton. It's just a quark. And, you know, it's kind of leading you along, leading you along. And it's like, yeah, it's just quantum physics. Yeah, it's just quantum entanglement. Things can exist and not exist at the same time. Yeah, spooky action at a distance. It's all conscious. And you're kind of going along. And next thing you know, the people who were so dedicated to this reductionism are now, you know, defending quantum physics, which is just magic. <laughs> it's just absolute magic. And it's kind of, it's the most beautiful judo move where it's like, yeah, no, what you're explaining is where all the contradictions run together. And without even realizing it, you kind of have them defending that spiritual uh, uh, realm. And but again, I think it's so important to it's like the carboxylic acid is, you know, I can tell you about it all day. It's this, that, the other thing. It's like or you, a doctor in 1850s London, you can go get the acid yourself. And in the same amount of time it would have taken you to read my literature and hear my arguments and then convince yourself that I'm wrong you could just go do a surgery with this. And so again, back to you, Karen, what you're, what you brought up earlier with, and I don't keep harping on it, accessible to everyone. I mean, in the time someone watched this podcast, they could have paused halfway through and then however you go about it, sit on a pillow, close your eyes and just let your mind settle. You can experience it firsthand. There is no, there is no paywall. There isn't, all right, an insert, you know, promo code TPC. And it's like, no, you, you can just go do it yourself. And I think that's a huge part of it is you can just do it on your own. It's accessible 
to everyone. So, you know, Karen, you're saying to me, you know, 30 minutes is enough. What would you say to this skeptical individual who, you know, they're hearing you and they're going, well, you know, how am I going to be convinced by a book? Or, you know, that I'm biased. Clearly, I like you guys. So how can I trust Tommy? He's, you know, he clearly adores these two people. Karen, what would you say to the person that just like, all right, hey, don't take my word for it. What can you do right now? Like, Pause the podcast, put your phone down. What could they do right now? Well, one really easy thing to do right now is to uh, imagine that your breath Sit still and imagine that your breathing is not moving in and out of your nose and mouth, but shift your awareness and imagine that it's moving in and out of your heart. It's just one way to kind of shift your awareness away from that thinking mind. And, you know, it, I, I want to make clear, this isn't necessarily, it's simple, but it's not necessarily easy, yeah. especially for the skeptical Western mind. The first time I know, for example, I started to try to meditate, and this is the case for countless others, you know, you just have these constant thoughts racing through your mind and you're thinking, why is this productive? <laughs> how is how is this going to help me? Uh, you know, the thoughts seem important, you know, things that you need to buy at the store, a conversation you want to have with your boss, a conversation you had yesterday with your child, you know, processing all of these thoughts seems so important. And yet it's those thoughts, those distracting thoughts that really keep us from understanding that there's more to us than just that. I mean, Evan just explained how we think that's who we are. It's not who we are. And so quieting the thoughts, moving our awareness from the brain to the heart, you could even imagine your breath is moving in and out of your, your left knee if you wanted to. Just move it away from your brain. And this can be very, very useful. And it, it's, again, it takes practice. It's not like for some, some will sit down and do this for the first time and go, oh my gosh, that was amazing. Others, not so much. And so some of the practical reasons, some of the practical benefits of doing this are often the motivation people need to make the effort. And so a very common mental health issue right now is anxiety. So many people have anxiety because of COVID, because of financial political, whatever you want to call it, there's this underlying anxiety. And we did a pilot study where after two weeks of listening to uh, some recordings that we offer, people had a 26% reduction in anxiety. Now, the control group in this pilot study had a 7% reduction in anxiety. They were getting standard talk therapy, but those who also were listening to these recordings in their own time they saw that much difference in uh, reducing anxiety. Other people will find that listening to these recordings helps them sleep better. Insomnia is one of the biggest issues out there in terms of health. We need a certain amount of sleep, and many of us just can't achieve it. And for some, these recordings will help them to get into a better night's sleep. And so the benefits come sometimes later. Your anxiety is reducing. You're getting more sleep. You're just feeling better about yourself. Sometimes people write to me and say, they can't even really define what it is, but something feels different. And they're going through their day, maybe managing conflict a little better than they had before. And so sometimes it can be very subtle. It's not all about going within, finding a light, touching God. That can come later. And that's sort of a it's kind of a bonus, I would yeah. say, but there's there's so many things that you can do uh, that are practical. Some people use them. You use them before you do podcasts to help you get centered and focused. 
where people could do this before business meetings, before maybe a conversation you need to have about a relationship with someone where you're very stressed about bringing things up. It allows you to get focused. It allows you, many, many people, when they listen, their distracting thoughts become fewer. And so then you get this different perspective of a, of a particular event. You're able to find more focus. So lots of practical reasons, I think, are maybe a better motivation for some than, you know, oh, I'm going to go find God today. Um, I, that wasn't my motivation. Yeah. I certainly was not, that was not mine at all. My motivation was I wanted to get in touch with my, um, you know, intuitive sense and, and really learn how to access that part of me that's greater. I guess I don't think of that as God. I think of it as my higher self. But eventually, as you move forward with, through your different experiences, then you can make up your own mind what exact, how exactly you want to define what it is, this energy that you're touching. And Evan, of course, went to the um, most extreme extreme kind of depths. And so he's very comfortable using those words, but some of us maybe aren't as comfortable using those words and that's okay. Um, it's, it's just a process of becoming more aware of the part of you that's not physical. And I would simply add the, the pilot study is a peer reviewed paper by Dr. Anna Usim, Y-U-S-I-M, came out in the Journal of Nervous and Mental Diseases in February of 2020. Uh, it's a very good report. I encourage people to go visit that because it it suggests there's some uh, tremendous power uh, of binaural beat brainwave entrainment, as in sacred acoustics, to help us uh, kind of connect with that higher soul and alleviate some of these feelings of anxiety and depression in the modern era, uh, simply by uh, kind of nurturing who we truly are, that sense of awareness beyond the ego mind. Uh, and that, that's where uh, I found sacred acoustics to be immensely valuable in my life. I there use was, it an hour to a day. And There was a medical student in that pilot study who actually saw their board exams rise. They started sleeping better. Just everything in general seemed to get easier. Right. So it's, it's, it, there's many, many facets to uh, what happens. And, and it's related to mental health and spiritual health. And I think you're, you're wise, Tommy, and kind of your estimation that this is kind of the next step, that mental health has now become more of this norm. And I think spiritual health and this idea of spirit over matter, mind over matter, we're used to talking about that, at least some of us, in terms of setting affirmations and posit the power of positive thinking and all of that has been going on for quite a long time. That's the thought of uh, how most people think of mind over matter, but spirit over matter does take us to sort of that next step, that next step, I won't say up, but the next step out, the next yeah. expanded kind of awareness of who we are. And uh, as Evan would say, as, as we go more and more within, that's how we get more expanded without, because this idea of uh, time and space is a little bit different once you start to be able to touch these spiritual realms and know yourself in this other fashion, it's less about time and space than just presence and yeah. being and that power of now. And also relationships, because I think ultimately uh, reality is built of relate on relationships between sentient beings. And that's what evolution of consciousness is all about, how the world evolves based on a refinement uh, of our relationships with self and others and with the universe at large. And I, I, I think that's a, a really important uh, thing that you brought up, Karen, a couple minutes ago. 
is, and I think you probably put it into words better than, than I've been doing. And it's not every, you know, when I say we, we go inside and you find God or the great light, full disclosure to everyone listening, I've been meditating since 2008. I've maybe had 10 or 15 of those experiences, maybe meditating every day for 13 years. So, I mean, I can't do math, right? But that's over 3000 meditation, maybe 20 that I've truly felt God. So you're right. It's That's pretty good, Tommy. Yeah, that is very good. Sometimes, honestly, you know, it's kind of like this, the, uh, you don't need to have it every single day in order for it to be effective and meaningful. You, people need to realize yeah. that that's a very good point. And you, I don't think you can have it, you know, every workout can't be the best workout of your life. You like, you know, oh. every day can't be the best day. Every Christmas can't be that was the best. It's sometimes you just go through the motions and you do it right because it helps. I started meditating, well, I started meditating in high school just kind of by accident, but in college when I really got into it, it wasn't some, I'm going to go inside and find like the oneness. No, Dr. Alexander, you can probably relate to this. I was hyper competitive and I was like, I find when I meditate every two hours, I can study longer and I can excuse my friends, I can kick the ass of everyone else in my organic chemistry class. It was from a very yeah, egocentric, it was a weapon. I was like, meditate more, I can memorize more equations. So that's what, I mean, you can truly, it, it can be a, a practical thing. Like, it, and, and I would say it's only important that you have one such experience. Sure. It's not because once you've had that it's touch, done. once you've connected uh, in that way, it's, uh, it gives you a whole new reference frame uh, in which to exist. And you don't have to have that super, uh, you know, off-scale yeah. result every time you meditate. Uh, but I'm convinced that over time, by meditating an hour or two a day for the last decade, it it, it tends to have an influence on, on your kind of normal waking consciousness, your power of intuition, empathy for others, uh, that sense of love. You start to live it even when you're not meditating. And in fact, the real, you know, this is soul school. This is where we learn the lessons here in the material realm. So the important thing is not just to meditate or centering prayer, but it's to really incorporate much of what you witness and feel and come to know as part of yourself in relationship to the universe in those meditative experiences. Bring that into the way you live now. Uh, just like we often say, you know, the biggest message from the near-death experience community is not what happens when I die, but it's much more about how do I make choices every day in this life and, you know, how I look at myself and deal with others. Uh, how do I make those choices more properly? If we do it from that very isolated, materialist, egocentric point of view, we're going to make a lot of mistakes that we will later regret as we come into kind of a higher sense of being. So it's really about incorporating what we get from daily meditation or prayer and bringing that into our life choices in the here and now in living these lives. Um, and so, you know, so instead of, it's not just number one, you know, go find God or number two, um, use it as a practical thing, or even number three, use it to slowly reduce your anxiety. Um, but that could to touch on that real quick. And I know I got you guys for five more minutes. Uh, I guess one thing I would suggest to people is, is, try it every day for a week and then intentionally don't do it for a day. And you might not notice until all seven days you might go, eh, and then take a day off and you might go, wow, every, you know, my internal stream of content and you realize you're like, Oh, when I take a day off, that's when I really realize, right. When you take a day off from the gym and you go, mm -hmm. you're never quite as clear 
on a day where you wake up and just kind of go sit on the couch as opposed to you go run a mile and lift weights. Sometimes it's that contrast that makes it more apparent. Um, and, but, uh, lastly, and you guys went into this in, uh, in, uh, excuse me, map of heaven. And I think this could probably be a, a big thing that could pull people in. And it's, and I think you said it so perfectly, but it's the sense of newness, right? I mean, middle school, it's, you know, it's sense of newness and, oh, you start flirting with girls and, oh, and, you know, you're growing and, you know, like as a guy and you're going through puberty, oh, you start to get muscle. Oh, cool. And then get into high school and maybe you play around some alcohol, maybe you smoke a cigarette, smoke a little pod, and then you start getting your licenses and all your friends and all of a sudden you guys start driving to each other's houses and you don't need mom and dad. And then you go away to college and now you're living on your own and you're choosing what you want to do. And then even after that, you start making money. And then you're like, wow, I can really, and there are all these new experiences, but then they do kind of seemingly stop, right? They get fewer and fewer. You could have kids, right? And then it's, well, after that, the next big one might be sending kids away to college. And it's like, well, there's 18 years. And then who knows what the next, they seem to slow down. And that excitement of like when I first started high school, and it was like, oh, man, there's this, this is so big. And, you know, students actually, there are seniors and they're going to college. This is so crazy. And like, or you get or when you get to college and I remember being at the University of Georgia and you just you feel like this whole new universe opened up. You're like, this is just like a new paradigm. And it's not like fleeting. You're like, I'm going to be here for four years. But then it it does kind of start to slow down. Like how many. All right. I'm 31. I'm in my own apartment. I have a car. I'm doing this podcast and it how many new things are really popping up? How many new, like now we're high schoolers, now we're college students. And that is what I would say to someone. If none of the other things incentivized you to do it, meditate because it's like going to another level. It's this whole new universe. And you're like, grad school. Yes. It's a (laughs) sense of noon. Yes, it is. It's grad school. And then once you think you have that one figured out, there's an even bigger one. And it's, this perpetual sense of newness, Dr. Alexander, you talked about like you can't jump out of a plane for the first time again, right? I mean, you can't, you know, you can't fall in love for the first time. Again. Well, I don't know. Love's pretty special. It's awesome every time. But, you know, you can't see snow for the first time. You can't go to an IMAX theater again for the first time. But with with meditating and going inside, it, those experiences are rare in my experience but it is the sort of newness where all of a sudden you think you had this world figured out and then you're like, wait, there's this kind of whole field where we're all connected and time and space doesn't exist. And it's like, what, you know, you thought you had it figured out where it's like, there's a power structure and a president and there are wars and the economy and Monday through Friday and Christmas. And you you think you have it figured out. And then it's like, I don't know. It's like going behind the stage and you're like, Oh wait, there's a green room. Like there's this whole other, I don't know where I'm going with this now, but yeah, it's, it's insane though. I don't really know where I'm going with this rant now, but um, yeah, that's, I, I kind of just wanted to touch on that. That is. Well, I, I just want to add that um, trying different techniques can certainly give you that sense of newness. And even in the collection of our audio recordings, there's different frequency sets that can offer different experiences. And before we, get uh sign off i just want to make sure people know where to find these recordings if mm-hmm. they want to give it a try go to sacredacoustics.com put in your email you can get a free download and then also look for the whole mind bundle these recordings were the same recordings used in that pilot study 
and they are currently specially priced for anyone who's having budget issues. That should never be a barrier. Uh, so yeah, different techniques can always change things up. If you've already had a meditative practice and you haven't experienced the kinds of things we're talking about, try the sounds. If you've tried the sounds and they're not quite doing it for you, try something else, different breathing techniques, different movement techniques, lots and lots of ways to do this. We're all unique. We all need to find the particular blend of techniques that works best for us. And I would simply add that uh, binaural beats, which we explained uh, the neurophysiology of to some degree in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe, uh, were noted in the mid and late 20th century. Um, you know, it was a phenomenon discovered in the 1900s, but in the late 20th century, people found that binaural beat brainwave entrainment could enhance out-of-body experiences and remote viewing skills. Uh, and so uh, that's why I got they interested found, in it. They also ago. found that they helped mental health issues. Absolutely. Focus, so, anxiety, yeah, so, all of that, not just the and, and just as a quick aside to your audience, I'll point out the reason from that from a neurophysiological viewpoint is unlike all the other sounds you've ever heard, like an anthem or chant hymn that might have enhanced some transcendental state of conscious awareness, those are all processed way up here in the acoustic cortex of the temporal lobes, which are recently evolved circuits in the last few million years. Binaural beats, very different. They are processed in the lower brainstem in a circuit that arose more than 300 million years ago. And I believe it's that kind of primacy of, of attack at a structure that is so ancient that it enables such profound liberation of conscious awareness from the apparent here and now instance of self. And that's why I think binaural beats uh, can be so, so powerful. And we're just beginning uh, to do the research to elaborate the potential for this. But I think uh, they will play a tremendous role in healing uh, moving forward. And that's based on a whole other line of evidence I don't have time to go into. Uh, concerning the use of psilocybin for de um, uh, addictions and for fear of death. Uh, and psilocybin is just one example, but uh, um, you only use it once or twice. And I believe it's getting you in touch with your higher soul, just like sacred acoustics uh, brainwave entrainment does for me. So I think there's going to be a tremendous role in healing and kind of enhancing placebo effect as we move forward through the technology such as sacred acoustics. So it's well worth trying out. Absolutely. And I'll put those in the description as well as y'all's three books, your websites, uh, your, your seminars and all the talks you guys do and the, the workshops and stuff. And uh, yeah, psilocybin, I used it once a year for three years and then I, and I haven't used it in five years and I don't think I need to again. It's, that's just that's a whole nother conversation for another time. Mm -hmm. um, don't go anywhere. I want, I want to ask you something after this real quick. But guys, thank you so much for coming on here. I love you both and I will stop.